All right, welcome to the Peyton Years, your home for Oregon State men's basketball, the only podcast in existence dedicated solely to Oregon State men's basketball. I'm your host, Andy, and as always, I'm here with my friend, Sam. Sam, how are you doing? I, I'm, I'm doing well, Andy. You know, it's 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 obviously been a whirlwind of a weekend for, for you and I and, and so many others in, in Beaver Nation, so many other Peyton heads. And, and so today has been a day of regrouping and and winding winding down a little bit recharging the batteries so to speak and with so much going on so much great stuff across beaver athletics obviously at the forefront and at the center of all of it uh was was the disappointing 0-3 result of the the pk85 you and i were there for a lot of it and so we've got a lot of talk to talk about this evening um yeah, you really went hard on that. That was that was good. You you do have a lot to talk about. I I will You're click, fired up. Right. Yes, it's been a uh, a lot of thoughts through. I think both of our heads since uh, since we left Child Center last night around ten fifteen or whenever that was. Yeah, you're very verbose, and I think you put it well. It's been an emotional roller coaster for Oregon State fans, and I don't think you'll find a single Beaver fan not talking about the zero and three PK Invitational run, even though it was a it was a good 0-3. If that, that's going to sound crazy, but it was a good 0-3. And, um, and we'll get into all of that, plus more, right after the fight song. You know, the Beaver fight song, I was thinking about this as I was looking forward to getting to listen to it earlier this afternoon um, for this podcast, but it's it's kind of like if if alcohol was also the thing that cured your hangover. It's just such a perfect remedy and, and answer for all situations and moods. That's right. It is the perfect remedy. Put that in the pill and let me take it every day. Um Let's get into it. Oregon State played Duke on Thanksgiving Day at noon. One of the opening games, not the opening game, but I think the second tip-off game of the PK Invitational. And was it not the first game in the Coliseum? I think, yeah, in the first game in the Coliseum, a very, very special way to spend your Thanksgiving. You and I were both there. We had amazing seats. Shout out to your mom <laughs> for the great Christmas gift. Yes. That was borderline courtside seats we uh shout out to trevor as well who hooked up our tickets sunday but um because everybody was there it was thanksgiving there were there were no staff tickets to be had for us and uh my mom was not going to stand by and let us be be high up and although there really is no bad seat in that building it's a great place to see a game but yes yeah, shout out to kelly for for hooking it up for us an early christmas present to us both and a very memorable game to be be up close for like that very memorable this was honestly i think in the moment i was definitely saying this and as i've stepped back the last couple of days i don't know if it exactly is the top because i will always remember zach reichel dunking on an oregon player in gill um yes famously two and a half seconds after lee the stinger pierce a friend of the pod although a duck fan who who said that they were going to have a turnover on a on that breakaway and so a whole room of people got to tell him to shut the fuck up which was all, always a beautiful thing as well yeah yeah and that was a great moment to be in person but this was one of the most fun oregon state basketball games i think i've ever been to oregon state lost <laughs> um 51 to 54 but gosh was it close they were up had plenty of opportunities if they'd hit some free throws maybe get a a jump ball called instead of a timeout at the end of the game not to get you too fired up 
I don't know. Take me through the game in your eyes. A lot of things that stick out, um, you know, both from the stat sheet. I will say, though, just the overall feel before we get into a few specifics. But um, very the feeling I have days later is much like uh, the movie, the, the original Rocky in which, um, you know, uh, Rocky, the main character, Balboa. I'm sorry, I forgot Rocky Balboa. Uh, <laughs> Like, is, what are you a, about Rocky? is is a amateur, you know, what they would call a bum in the boxing world. And he gets a shot to go up against Apollo Creed, the number one, number one heavyweight contender in the world, and takes him 15 rounds. And in many people's eyes, should have won that fight. And uh, uh, although he did not, it's still a very inspiring tale. And uh, I, I have similar feelings about that basketball game. We we put Duke on the mat. Their, their fans... We're very frustrated, and and while I do wish there were more Beaver fans in attendance, it was a beautiful thing to see that. Yeah, it was essentially a Duke home game, which was surprising, but I guess, you know, that's a national brand. It travels well. I will say that Duke fans, yeah, like if you're just into – like how many of you actually have a connection None to, of them. to this university, and then how many of you just think J.J. Reddick's really cool? And if that's why you're attaching yourself to a program, just – I guess hats off to you. What a horrendously undesirable thing to want to identify yourself with in any way, unless you're a doctor who went there and those people don't care about Duke athletics because they're too busy becoming a doctor. It is such an annoying fan base. Although, although nothing, none of you went to Duke. You're all obnoxious. You, you would be thrilled to have a distant family member that attended that institution. Yeah, so the game kind of played out a little bit the way we kind of thought it might, where we said before that Oregon State seemed to definitely through Pope, but Econo and Glenn Taylor on the wings had kind of a perimeter advantage, or at least guards and wings that could match up with Duke's players, especially with Dariq Whitehead coming off the injury. What was going to be tough for Oregon State was the three seven-footers that Duke had, including uh, Kyle Filipowski, who – is looking very good. He is a dominant Duke player. He's a good, very good basketball player. But that was really the story. The guards really played Duke's. Jordan Pope, I would say, was the best guard on the floor, um, regardless of team. But then Econo and uh, Glenn Taylor played the wings and the shooting guards for Duke pretty evenly. It all came down to the inside. Kyle Filipowski, I think, had 15 rebounds. And then Ryan Young, who was the backup big, who's seven-footer transfer from Northwestern, he had 14 rebounds. That's 29 rebounds between two players. And that's just hard to overcome, even in a game where Oregon State somehow shoots better than Duke. That should be about they shot better than Duke in this game. And it's not because they shot very well. <laughs> it's just that Duke shot terrible. 26% or something like that, right? Yeah, I'll look it up. But it was really interesting to see because this was more a uh, zone than I think I've seen Oregon State play this year. And they because it, well, it makes sense because what are you going to do when you have such a massive size differential? But um, not only that, they weren't making a lot of threes, which is traditionally how you pull teams out of zones. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah you are correct. Duke shot 26% from the field, 17% from three. Oregon State shot 39% from the field, 28% from three. Again, um, another game where the three-point percentage was very below average. And if obviously in a game that close, if you just get – two or three more, you're probably up 11 points at some point in the second half. I remember Akano going to his left and taking a very, very nice pull-up from about eight feet out that, that 
that he didn't make that would have put them up eight and feeling like if that went, then there might have been a little panic from Duke. But And I think there was panic. I mean, this game came down to the wire. They had to make plays. I think if Kyle Filipowski, the seven-foot center for Duke, doesn't hit kind of that – I don't want to call it a miracle three because he is a good shooter and he has three-pointers in his game, but just an off-motion three kind of towards the end of the shot clock with about three minutes to go. I think that Oregon State takes that game. Um, so, I don't know. There was panic. I mean, this was a legitimate chance at the upset. But, again, it comes down to rebounding. Duke's top two players, 14 rebounds, 15 rebounds. Oregon State's top rebounds, five and five. And one of those comes from Jordan Pope. One of those was Pope. The other was Andela, who only got 20 minutes before fouling out. And yeah, they, one was Rudy. That was – I mean, Post – that's they had be- a little better puncher's chance of getting defensive rebounds with Andela out there, and they couldn't finish the game with him. Well, I think that's going to be something that you're going to see a lot with this team right now, especially as, like, Retai and Bilodeau um, work their way kind of into, like, they're more kind of fours, but I think they're going to be pressed into playing the center spot just because it does look, just in terms of bodies, a little thin. Like, you have Scholl and you have Andela, and when you run into a lot of size like Duke, both those guys have the – potential to get in foul trouble pretty early, which happens, which when you're just trying to bang or box out a Duke player who's getting every single over-the-back foul <laughs> call. Yeah, they. I mean, they really dictated the way the game was officiated, and it was officiated poorly. I mean, the jump ball is is the main thing. And um, uh, I, I did get frustrated at times with the way Filipowski was able to put two hands and run through somebody on someone and run through them to push them kind of underneath the basket and end up grabbing an offensive rebound. But and what about the flop calls for Duke? Since we're just complaining about the officiating, Duke had two charges, one drawn by Kyle Filipowski himself, where they threw themselves like three or four feet off a nudge from an Oregon State player. I was just kind of surprised because it seems like this year in the games we've gone to and watched, they've really been a point of emphasis of giving those flop technicals. And then when we got to the PK invitation, it was almost like the opposite, that where they they want the showmanship. And then I remember Nike-funded tournament. This is a publicity event for Duke. They're messing it up the entire way. It was it was such, just such a departure from I mean, We've watched a lot of college basketball this year, and the common theme, and it's been talked about by TV announcers, is that they're calling flops too much, almost when – and it's to to the point that it's a detriment and they're stopping the game for no reason. And then they they seem to completely forget about that when it's Duke. And I, I want to say it's frustrating. The officiating is frustrating just, you know, not to put any blame on the officials, but it's frustrating when you feel like Oregon State is playing so well. Maybe not on a offense. Obviously, they could shoot the ball better. That's going to be a given on almost any given night so far this season. But the defense, especially against Duke, in the zone was so impressive. The rotations are looking so good. Like, I have a lot of faith and confidence in this group. And to see them not get rewarded on a great defensive possession by letting, like, some giant Duke ogre. This is – I do want to give a shout-out to John Shire for keeping a traditional Duke team where they just have two giant ogres kind of in the middle. No, no shooters, though. Kind of surprising. Right. He, he is picking up where Coach K left off in as many ways as he can. And Filipowski really, really is the quintessential Duke star. He's going to be in the NBA next year. I mean, I don't mean to, to just shit on him, although he is very hateable. Yeah, he's a good player. He was I was disappointed when we got up close and see him warming up and to realize that because I saw him playing the Nike uh, Hoop Summit, but from a little bit further away. And I was like, yeah, he's you know kind of just your classic pudgy white guy center and then i saw him up close from, uh, for our tickets is like oh my god this guy is a stud yeah <laughs> that's not a good sign um anything else you want to cover from the game i can't stress it was so fun so fun and such a great 
game. I mean, you can't overstate what a great defensive effort that was. I mean, what they, they held them to 54 points, and that was with a shot that they had to review to make sure that it got out of his hand in time before the shot clock went off. Still not convinced all the way. They didn't buy they didn't show it on the replay board for all of us to see. Yeah, interestingly enough. I think the Coliseum has a tough time with that technology. It could be that simply as well. I don't know that a lot of people on the event staff that day had worked in that building very often, but they had one of those. They had, if I'm not mistaken, a buzzer beater to end the first half. Yeah. So they had in when they miss all those threes but get one there, that really stings. And then early on in the game, one of their threes. Or maybe it was a long two. Was a buzzer beater to beat the shot clock. That they didn't have to review, but it was where you just throw your hands up. It was such a difficult shot. And so without those, they're at around forty-eight points right now. Yeah, Duke definitely escaped with the win. Like that's so that's what a lot of the Sports Center commentators were saying, and that's exactly what happened. They escaped with the win. Hard-fought game by Oregon State. Um, all right, let's. Move it'll on. sting though. It'll it'll sting. It always does. Um, next up, Oregon State played Florida. I and they lost, not by too terrible, 68-81. It didn't seem that close in the first half. I have to be honest, I didn't watch this game because I went to the Villanova-Portland game in person and uh, missed this one, and then they were showing highlights. And I saw the North Carolina-Iowa State game in person as well. They were showing, cutting to the Oregon State game, and the score really turned me off. I haven't been able to pull myself to watch the recording. So give it to me. What happened? Yes. Well, I mean, this is your risk. You're handing the reins over to me. So if I say something bullish, you're, you're going to have to wait until you do see it. And I know you will. And I commend you for, for being honest about being in, in the Moda Center while that was happening, or uh, at the, back at the Coliseum instead of the Moda Center, because it was a rare opportunity. And I was at work. And so I, I got off just in time to catch tip off um, and witness all of that. And you know, I I also don't want to go into much detail about the twenty-two to four run to start the game or what what it looked like at the point it was thirty-six to thirteen. I will just say that it was the first time that a lot of those kids had played a Division One basketball game for the second consecutive day. There was certainly some energy hangover because the defense did not look the same way at the start. And Florida's a really inconvenient team to play against when you're dealing with some of those things. And it showed, it was very ugly for a while. I thought they calmed down a little bit sooner than they did against like Tulsa and then missed a lot of open threes before. At, but to say all that, I'm also going to say that they were outscored, it was 36 to 13 around halfway through the first half. The rest, so, and then for the final 38 or 30 minutes, excuse me, they outscored Florida by 10. So there was a lot of good basketball the rest of the way. Yeah, you've told me multiple times since the game happened that they won the last 30 minutes. I by by double digits as well. They were a, a missed three at the buzzer by from winning by 13. And I was more hyped to watch the game until just in the spirit of being honest, me and you went to the Florida West Virginia game before the Portland State Oregon State game and just watched Florida get absolutely Mops. They're an enigma. That it was not fun to watch. That no, <laughs> it was. They did not look good at all. So tough, tough build to swallow for Oregon State. Um, also, they were the only team that the starting point guard for Florida played a little bit for. He came off the bench, I think, but he's been getting 
coach DMPs. I think he's in trouble. So that's also a little bit of Beaver bias. He's extremely talented, and he got some run against the Beaver. Yeah, the, a, a very odd showing of Beaver bias by Florida coach Mike White. I wouldn't have expected it from you, but well, it's the Duke connection because Mike White's dad is the AD, so he wasn't gonna is the AD of Duke, so he wasn't gonna do that till you get the close game. His dad gets the call. He pushes it down to Mike White. Mike White says, okay, we really got to send a message out. Bada bing, bada boom. And that, that just shows a lot of honesty on all those people's parts involved. That like A Florida guy is not going to fit at Duke. Mike White is a Florida guy, too. <laughs> and I will say that. So a little bit of be biased for that guy. Um, and I wish I will watch the game because I do want to see him play because I'm just so intrigued by him just because during Thanksgiving I had the Florida game on in the background and I just caught uh, the very end of the announcer saying, yeah, he didn't play. Coach's decision. It's not because he's hurt, just purely coach's decision. And then they cut to the kid and he has neon green hair with black question marks dyed into it. And I just, if you rock that hairstyle, I know you're going to be a, a fun player to watch. It, it kind of seems like he got into a fight with someone who worked at a hotel they were <laughs> at or something. Just very behavioral. But he threw down one of the nastiest dunks on a beaver since Afe Abogadi threw one on Wari Thalatiche two years ago. It was it was a sight to see. <laughs> All right. Anything else you want to cover um, from the Florida game? Because I didn't see it, so I have nothing to say. Well, uh, oh, actually, I do have one thing to say. We saw a Florida couple vape into each other's mouths after on their way to the Florida opening game. That's the only connection I have to the Florida we, basketball. They, we, they, we gave them a go Gators and then watched them blow vaporizer smoke into their mouths for a good 10, 15 seconds and then just said to each other, they came here from Florida. That That is someone who traveled here from the state of Florida. Exactly. So they traveled in group. Um, anything else you want to cover from the game? It was hilarious to watch the Gator um, just sitting in the stands very casually. That was Oh, wait, that was last night. No, that I'm sorry. I um, – if if you didn't watch that game, at least watch if and if you're able to watch the second half, the way Andy's going to, they um Billado stepped up, made a lot of firsts in the second half of that game, which is big. Billado hit threes, Crass hit shots for the first time. Um and a Beckway played. That was one thing I meant to say about the Duke game, is that you we didn't think that at the time, but the way he looked when he came in to the the Florida game when it was 22 to four and immediately got a basket and blocked someone's shot. I kind of wish he had gotten a few minutes, at least to use fouls against Florida because he is gigantic. Yeah. He is a massive, massive man. And he has a long way to go still, but that, that was exciting to see as well. That warrants mention. Uh, speaking of a long way to go still, should we talk about the Portland state game? Cause I haven't <laughs> fact checked this, but this is a, so you're not listening to this on repeat that Oregon state played Portland state for a second time, which is the first time in school history that they've played Portland state twice in a season. Um, earlier in the season, they lost to Portland state for the first time in the season. They doubled down and lost again in the seventh place matchup at eight o'clock at the child center. Me and you were there in person. They lost 83 to 71. Um, Sam, what are your thoughts? How does it feel to go? Oh, and two against Portland state. <laughs> I, I have handled it about as well as, as to be expected, you know, knowing me, believe it or not, these, the, those losses can, can, can have an effect on my mental health and sleeping schedule and such that, that, that I'm not proud of, but um, it, an upsetting evening, you know, to me, having obviously been there for both of them, uh, I thought the first loss came down to just a couple simple things. And that was that Portland state, shot the ball well from three, especially in the second half, and the Beavers didn't. 
and they didn't have Rodriguez Della for the second half. They still had a rebounding advantage. They made about 10, 12 more free throws. And so you figure that's a team they can definitely beat. If they play them again, it should go well. If it goes the same way and they have Andela the whole time. I don't know where to start with last night. Um, I think I want to start by saying that there was an interesting atmosphere because you're watching Oregon State play Portland State in the University of Portland. This is maybe the most podcast centric <laughs> basketball event we could have been to it's interesting because it's eight o'clock on a sunday night it's literally the last game of the entire tournament it's very we we came in for the west virginia florida game and we were like wow it's not very crowded this is kind of cool most of those people left <laughs> and and the west virginia and florida's contingent were were larger yeah. than, than either team in the second game yeah, exactly. But it was interesting because this is the first time where it's like, wow, there are an equal amount of Portland State and Oregon State fans in this gym. And they both probably number about 40 each, 50 each. Uh, yeah. It, uh, so I looked, they had the attendance as part of like the ESPN recap and it was 1,016. Mm -hmm. and, and the child's holds about five. And so I'm willing to believe that's they took it for both games total because a ticket got you into each of them because that's the only way that's true. Yeah, and so it was interesting to be able to hear. This is the first time I've ever heard, uh, heard Portland State fans like loudly cheer or loudly heckle or just like just a totally different environment. It's also very quiet in their bench. It screams the entire time, and it's, it's no fun to hear that very clearly as well. Yeah, so that's what I want to start off is just kind of setting the, the mood um, we both kind of have different takes on or different responses to the loss. I don't know. Do you want to give yours? Do you want me to go first? You, you go go ahead and give yours first. <clears throat> okay. So mine is that me and you, we are kind of talking ourselves into the Portland State coach because I want to start calling him the Mick Cronin of the big sky. I love that. I bet he would fucking love to be told that if, if he hasn't already. It's very possible he has. Yeah, I think that's a dead ringer for him. So I'm starting to talk myself into him. He is a complete maniac. He is incredibly focused, drill sergeant mentality. I mean, he does coach with more joy, I'll say, than Mick Crow. And he's not wearing a tuxedo with a miserable look on his face. The whole yeah, time. yeah. I just mean in pure, like, kind of pit bull tenacity. Yeah, And my theory is that – and I do think that he is a good coach. Like, I think he has Portland State trended in the right direction. I said this to you. Um, you know, he's looking to step stone out of here. And you, I can see him going places eventually because he's a younger coach too. I think that he looks around at his schedule each year because they played – Portland State played Oregon State very close last year too. Um, I think he looks at his schedule. He sees Oregon State. He kind of circles that as like, okay, that's my marquee game. That's the game I can really win and get like a little stamp, a little recognition for this team. That's where I can use to sell to other schools. Like, hey, I beat Oregon State with Portland State. So I think he gives 100% of his focus on Oregon State. I don't think he was preparing for Gonzaga <laughs> or West Virginia, or maybe he was a little bit, but his focus is on Oregon State. I think he just has a really good game plan dialed in for the Beavs. I don't, I mean, obviously Oregon State, this is not going to surprise people because they lost to Portland State by 12, but they didn't play well. So that factors into it. But I think you also have to give credit to this coach and just how well he has his team dialed in because they didn't do the same thing they did in the first game. Like there was a lot more pressing this game. Um, they kind of played with like a little bit of different pace. The point guard got his shots up more. It wasn't the same rotations. It wasn't really the same players. They were missing their starting center. Like this coach, and he had him really, he had him hyped up again. So I don't know. I'm just really impressed by the coach. And I think it's more of a him stepping up 
than Oregon State. I mean, it is a step back for sure, but it is. That's my that's my orange colored glasses opinion. I I do think that that both the the staff and players and Wayne kind of even said this in, in his quotes to Dashiell after were put aback at how different they looked. That certain guys who played a ton and were huge for them in the game in Corvallis had four or five minutes and other guys who were maybe around 10, 12 minutes and had a basket or two or grabbed a rebound in the first game had huge games in the, in the second one, number 25 is kind of their best guy. He was the one that was really yeah, woods, right? Woods. And then uh, the lefty too, mm-hmm. along with Cameron Parker, who's also lefty, their point guard. Those are three really good. They were the three guys that in both games kind of showed out, but they play 12 different guys. Yeah. I, I'm going to kind of piggyback on Andy's point because I really don't feel like going through the box score and pointing out deficiencies and stuff because a lot of it's pretty ugly um, outside of Jordan Pope's game. But I I just want to caution people who are get, are very upset that it's still early and maybe we we can – consider the possibility that this is the best Portland state team in quite some time, because if you just look at those two games, sure. It it looks like it might be as bad as everyone said it was, but there are, there is some evidence too, that it's not. Well, Portland state lost to West Virginia by 19 Florida lost to West Virginia by like 34. I, I, yes. I mean, that's not a good transitive property. That's obviously not supportive (laughs) evidence to what we're talking about. I think it's very fair that Florida did not give a shit about that game. Yeah. They were getting dunked on left and right. Um, Yeah, no, I'll piggyback on what you're piggybacking on. I think this is a great, I'll go further and say, this is a great Portland state team. I see them finishing the top three in the big sky and we'll get that big sky blogger on here to kind of give us, give it to us straight. And we'll argue for Portland state later on this year, because there's probably a little Viking bias in just based off their proximity to us, just based off the atmosphere. Yeah. Just based off those kids attitudes. They, (laughs) the, the one detail about the game I will say is that in, um, it, Portland State presents a tough matchup because they spread the floor and they it's very difficult to have for our bigs on the floor defensively at times because they'll go with four five guard lineups and, and be five out and it looked ugly, but um they need more out of guys like Reevney. Um Roddy didn't have his best game. No, I mean Shoal. No, I mean you can't get out rebounded by Portland State if you're Oregon State, which is what happened. And you can't shoot worse than from the field and from three – I mean, like, Portland State essentially beat them <laughs> in every statistical category. So, I mean, you, at a certain point, you got to tip your hats to them. I mean, but Jordan Pope, on a positive side, had his best game of his young college career, 23 points, three rebounds, um, three assists, a steal. He was, and, and they were face guarding him 94 feet. Like he was really had to work. He was tired by the end of the game. Yeah. The, I mean, the scouting report is kind of out and Jordan Pope's at the top of it. It's, it's hurting Taylor too, because teams are just kind of pressing up on him and they know that he just wants to get to the rim every time, but it is very impressive to see what he did with a team that knew like, if we stop Pope, their point guard there will probably beat them. And he went for 23 and, 
still rebounds a little bit. I mean, he gets between three to six a game, it seems like. Well, he's just such an efficient player. Like, he's 23 points on six for 10 shooting, 10 for 10 from the free throw line. Like, he's just such a good shooter that whenever he gets a little space, you think it's going in. He's a really reliable offensive fulcrum. You're just going to need some of the other guys to kind of play a little more consistently. Maybe some new person step up. I mean, you see Crass have five points. He had a couple of jump shots. So it's like, you know, the shot's there. Maybe he comes in a little bit. You've seen Bilodeau. Um, Really continue st- to look more comfortable. Yeah, continue. I was going to say, continue to grow uh, game to game. He had nine points. He's You're seeing a lot more of his finesse post-up game. I think um, what we talked about, too, is it's right now, I think, one thing that's clogging up the post more than anything, because there are skilled post players, like Retai, Bilodeau, uh, Andela, Scholl. Like, these are guys who can score. Maybe put an asterisk next to Scholl's name. <laughs> but it hits a, a couple threes against Florida. There you go. So it's a part of his game. People saw some. See, I can't believe you and didn't that bring was encouraging. I can't believe you didn't bring that up earlier. I should have. But uh, that is just so much encouraging stuff in the last 30 minutes of that game. <laughs> um, well, that's one thing that I think is clogging up the pain we've kind of talked about is that the midline or help side defender on every team, because Oregon State runs kind of like a power offense a lot of times where they're trying to get like a high post or wing entry into the or uh, into the lower post position like Andela or Scholl and let them go to work. Or uh, Bilodeau often posts up and really looking for the ball aggressively. But when you're shooting as poorly as Oregon State is right now from three, the defense has no desire to like kind of like play any sort of close to their man. And they're playing so far aggressively in the midline that it's almost impossible to enter the ball in the post. And then you got a guy kind of clogged up because he can't get rid of the pass. He doesn't know what to do, and it's just kind of slowing everything down. I think I'd at least like to see them. We kind of talked about it. Start whipping the ball side to side a little bit more, get some side to side passes going, or something like that. Just a little bit more motion to help clear up that post play because you're seeing skilled play when they catch it. It's just being so hard right now. The defense is overloading it so much. You're going to need something to counter that. Yeah, they, it's there's there's not a lot of reason to cheat defensively against the Beavers right now. And and it, what they're trying to do is – the problem isn't that it's obvious. There's nothing wrong with clearly trying to play through the post at times. It's no, that there's especially when you got the skilled post players that Oregon State has. There And it's just – it's tough to make teams pay for committing to just stopping that right yeah, now. Yeah, that's got to open up the corner three. That's got to open up the side three. Um, and I think those shots are – maybe somewhat open right now. They're just not going in at a, I haven't looked at what the season record is, but it's gotta be around 30% or lower for three point for a lot of the guys. Yeah. And I just um, mean for as a team, it, it, it's, it can't be much higher if it is. I, I don't know what it is at this point. And we'll take a more look at numbers as we get closer to conference play. But, but I, I agree with that. I think it's important and, we probably should have pointed this out a little bit more the first Portland State that they've missed Christian Wright and Justin Roshlin more and more. And I know they haven't played a game for the Beavers yet, but those are two guards who played in Power 5. Well, Roshlin was a redshirt, but he got a scholarship to a Power 5 team, and Christian Wright started a lot of games for one, too. So they will take some pressure off of Pope and make it a little bit harder for teams to send their best wing defender and just guard him 94 feet. I love how many caveats you took to get there. <laughs> we're not ma- we're not going to be dishonest about it, but the- they're good players. And I think Roshlin more than Wright is a catch and shoot three guy that can help. Yeah. But yeah. Wright will be a guy that could bring the ball up and allow Pope to play off the ball more and, and hopefully look to just shoot it when he gets it. Yeah. It's, 
yeah, things are going to change. But just tough game overall for Oregon State. Uh, one player, Jordan Pope, in double figures, 23 points. Portland State has six players in double figures. Leading scorer, Joel Satterfield. That's the lefty um, with 15 points. Sorry, I'm just so used. And then Hunter, Satterfield, yeah. Satterfield, and then uh, Hunter Woods. 11 points. He was the guy who led this team scoring last game. I do want to give a quick shout out to uh, Cameron Parker for getting ejected from the game as a Jesuit player to get ejected from a Portland state game Surreal. In, in university of Portland. <laughs> yeah. Wearing a public school, a commuter school universities uh, Jersey. How times have changed. So, wow. shout, so shout out to you. I have absolutely no idea why the, the first technical still, I don't really understand why you got the first technical foul in the first half. Um, it was never really explained over the loudspeaker and the second Technical foul. Maybe he said something. Maybe he flexed. I don't know. It was kind of hard to. Uh, he, I saw him flex a little bit after getting kind of a clutch layup at the end, kind of a game ceiling layup. But didn't know. Maybe he said something. But he was immediately kicked out. Maybe he said it. It, it, it seemed like because the referee was had had it with him, and uh, I don't know that I've ever seen a coach even pretend less to give a shit that his player got kicked out because. It would be very hypocritical of him. That is the way he get he wants them to be, and yeah, I I gotta respect it, and I gotta respect that police officer who it must be like in his like job contract that if someone gets kicked because this was like one of the he most he did get a police escort to from the ten from, feet from the baseline to the door against the wall, and one yeah. of the most least emotional. Uh, player rejections I think I've ever seen at any level. I think really he was just curious. Like, where are we going to go for – there's, like, two minutes <laughs> left in the game. Yeah, no one really seemed that upset. So that was that was pretty interesting. Um, okay, let's look ahead. Oregon State opens up Pac-12 play. They have two Pac-12 games before going back uh, to a couple of non-conference slates before getting back into the full girth of the season. Uh, they open up with Washington on Thursday at 7 o'clock in Corvallis. Still on ESPNU, still hovering around uh, on the major networks. It is on the ESPN family of networks. So we have actually been on ESPN more than the main Pac-12 feed this season. Mm -hmm. So that's maybe someone's there's listening. something. Yeah, that's that's a positive. Um, okay, what do you what do you think going into the Washington game? Because we both just finished watching Washington versus Seattle, and we've seen Washington play actually a couple times now. You missed the end of this one, but that's a good win for them. Seattle was undefeated. Seattle has played some good teams. They beat Portland, who I think could be ranked at this point. Yeah. Um, by the way, Portland State took Portland to overtime, too. So maybe it's a little early, and it's possible they're building a nice season. But anyways, not to that's the last time we'll bring that. They're, they're, this episode. They're, this episode, correct. I think everybody knew that. But um, my pick for kind of the surprise team in the conference, and um, at this point in the season, I, I think it – it ages well. They've lost one game to a good Cal Baptist team. They shouldn't have lost that game. They've struggled with some teams they shouldn't have, but they're very athletic. They have a lot of three-point shooters, and they're big, and they're also playing without Noah Williams, who's probably the best wing they would have if he was healthy, and I think he might be back for um for the Oregon, for the Beaver game too. So yeah, and that's I mean, shitty news. Yeah, they beat uh, St. Mary's. They beat St. Mary's um, and Wisconsin, right? Uh, no, that was USC. That's sorry. USC. Lost to Wisconsin. They haven't played Wisconsin. No, they they beat uh, Weber State, North Florida, Utah Tech. Lost to Cal Baptist. That's their only loss of the season. And they beat Fresno State, St. Mary's, and Seattle. So, yeah, uh, a real traditional zone team for Mike Hopkins. He's starting off the year in, quote, unquote, control. Things haven't hit the rails yet, so they're sticking – 
in their 2-3 zone, really aggressive. It's very long. They start a seven foot one center. I think his name's like Hain here. Yeah. He's got like big, you can't miss him. He's got really big hair and he's seven foot one. He's very athletic. He runs really hard. And then they bring in an old Oregon transfer, Kepning, as their backup center. He's huge. He's just invalidante, but just in a different uniform. Yeah. Very similar player to Dante. Big long arms that he effectively uses without getting fouls called on him, especially offensively. He does a lot. He plays his ass off, too. He's going to be a problem. He's going to be a problem. So they've got big posts. Um, Tyler Bay is back for what seems like. I mean, it feels like there's always going to be a bay in the Pac-12, and that's that's good to know. He's been doing really well for them for the start of the season. I'm keen on, on him as one of their main offensive threats for this game. Yeah, he'll get a lot of shots, especially if Williams doesn't play. But even if even if Noah Williams plays, he'll still be a starter. Him and Badjima both, I think, are enjoying maybe not having Noah Williams around because they both get a lot more shots because of it. Yeah, definitely. So, I don't know, a couple of things that I think are going to stand out to me in the matchup or what I'm looking for are things that are going to be tough, things that maybe Bowdoin, Oregon State's favors. One thing that's going to be tough is that I think Washington post players are really active. They run really hard. Like, they get up and down the court. They're trying to beat their man down the court. They're not going to, like, trail back, which I think will be a difficult matchup for Shoal and, to some extent, Andela. So, I think that's going to really push the pace. The other thing is, and this is the obvious one, is that, you know, Washington plays an aggressive zone 2-3 defense, which is designed to make people shoot threes. Oregon State is having a very hard time shooting threes right now, so I think that is troubling. Washington is really weak at at the offensive rebounds, or I shouldn't say on their offensive rebounds, giving up offensive rebounds. Like, they were out-rebounded by Seattle and St. Mary's. So because you're in the 2-3 zone, there's a lot of room to grab those offensive rebounds. You saw that when Oregon Especially State against a bigger team, you can kind of sneak to open spots and you don't have to beat a certain guy to it. Yeah, exactly. So I don't know. That's one thing I'm looking for is maybe being keen is hitting the offensive rebound, especially with the threes that Oregon State's going to take in their current percentages right now. Those are probably going to be some long rebounds. That presents an opportunity in itself. Uh, but, yeah, what do you think? I, I'm curious. Um, and one thing – we should have mentioned the, the biggest bright spot besides Pope against Portland State was Jaden Stevens. Too. He played 28 minutes and had nine points. He had three or four rebounds, um, a steal. You know, it was a very nice stat line in a vacuum. That would be exciting to see if that was the only thing I knew about the game. But he played a ton more than Reevney or Scholl. And part of that, I think, was just we're going to go with the freshman because he's, he was frustrated with his bigs. But also – it was more effective. It gave them a better chance. And I, I'm curious if Stevens played well enough to earn a starting spot because he's not taking one from Akano or Glenn Taylor to me. Or Pope. No, the three Pope, of course. The three yeah. guards are locked in. You're looking at a, at the front court right now. And you would think because Stevens is more of a wing, but he is six seven, six eight, it like would I'm curious if maybe he goes a little smaller and puts him in instead of either Reevney or Scholl or goes with Andela and Stevens or something like that. Yeah, Stevens has been playing really well. I'm glad you brought him up. And one thing you notice when we've been at these games and seen up close is I think he might be maybe the best athlete on the team. Just the best like, dunker. Yeah, I mean, like I know it's a, not the only. Yeah, it's not the only thing. I guess that's what's throwing me too. But he is an amazing jumper. I didn't really realize that. I didn't really realize how much of a true three he is. Like you said, he's legit 6'6", six, 6'7". Six, six, 
He's got some wing like ball handling skills. Like he's pretty fluid. It's kind of the three that Oregon State hasn't really had in the last couple of years on the wing. It's kind of always a hard position for them to recruit. Right, for, it feels that like. guy's always so much of a tweener. Like you think about Alfred Hollins, who right. would play the. He was six five, but he was kind of a, a stocky four, mm-hmm. and and that isn't him. Um, so I just wonder if he's willing to sacrifice the size to go with him instead of Reevney or Shoal. I think because he was not. I we. we we can be honest about it. He was not happy with them. We were feet away from it. No, he wasn't. Although I think Reevney, I think Reevney and Shaw, although like this is a team that plays zone, both those guys are good shooters. Um, who's to say, you know, maybe that matches up well with what they're trying to do. I'm curious to see what their zone offense looks for. Sometimes they don't put a high post, which always is interesting. At times, yeah. I, and uh, I, Reevney is kind of perfect for that spot. Yeah, when it seems like he'd be well great too. And, when we were watching the um, Seattle game, they are really selling out on the perimeter. Maybe that's just because Seattle U does have a couple of really good shooters, but they are leaving that wide open um, mid post range and just letting people catch it there and then daring them to come inside versus Kempning and the other giant. Yeah. I, I Do you remember the game a couple years ago where uh, it, I think it was the COVID year because Trace was still with the COVID canceled, but they had like 91 points against that zone by putting Trace there. And obviously they don't have Trace Tinkle anymore, but I'm, I hope they show film of that and tell whoever plays that high post spot, be fucking aggressive. Like they're all going to fall. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so predicting obviously a win right there for Oregon State, starting off the season 1-0. Um, then they play USC on Sunday at 4 o'clock, back on the Pac-12 networks, unfortunately, before – heading back into their non-conference, the rest of their non-conference schedules. What are you thinking for USC? An interesting team, a very unlikable team, I would say. Um, they they have athletic bigs that um, aren't as good as guys like Metu that they've had in the past. I mean, they they I don't want to simplify it as simply that when Boogie Ellis and, and Drew Peterson go for around 16 each and are happy and play well, they'll probably win. But um, that that might be the case. I mean, they are the two catalysts for them. No, yeah, that's what, exactly what I was going to say. I think you simplified all the way right there. And this team is kind of – it's way less uh, – has watched less depth than they've had in the last couple of years. But, yeah, it's essentially the Boogie Ellis-Drew Peterson show. And even more so just really the Drew Peterson show. I mean, Boogie Ellis is playing really well. But Drew Peterson's getting all the stats, all the hype. I think he's averaging around 16, 6, and 6. It was a little higher, like 17, 7, and 7. But I don't he think had an 8-assist game, which when like Isaiah Mobley and Evan Mobley were there, that never would have happened because they weren't playing through him enough. So he had to shoot it every time because he's a selfish guy. I've never met him before or spoke to him, but he's a selfish guy. Both Boogie Ellis uh, came in. He was a Memphis player originally. He was kind of supposed to be – had one and done kind of flair to him. He's been in college now. He's a senior. Peterson, this is his second school, started off at Rice, came in as a transfer. Uh, he's a senior. This is an older team. They're savvy. They're strong. They're good shooters. The rest of the USC players are athletic, but, again, it's Andy Enfield, so I wouldn't say it's the most cohesive offense or defense you've ever seen in your life. I think it's the type of thing where there is a definite coaching advantage, and I think that USC is playing Cal, so obviously they're going to get lulled into a false system of security because they're just going to be beating the worst team in power five basketball before they play Oregon state, which bodes well for the beefs. Absolutely. I think that, um, well, I don't think that a theme, unfortunately to the start of this season has been bad starts. There's been three or four of them where they've been down double digits 
within the first eight minutes, if not earlier, of the game. And USC is an opportunity to kind of flip the script on that. They've done that in in recent years against them where in a game where they were heavy underdogs, took an early lead, and it took USC about eight, ten minutes to start playing. That happened last time or last year when they played down there. And then some in one of – it's almost as upsetting as the 15 fouls to three-second half in Tucson the year before that. But the that game ending with three technical fouls for the Beavers and one for USC is one of the – more egregious examples of Beaver bias in a long time. So be prepared for that as well. Although they don't have Isaiah White, who was like their emotional leader last year. Yeah, true. I, I can't remember where he ended up at. They I think have, he was a senior. Uh, okay. They do have Trey White. He, yeah, and he can do some of those same things as well. But I I hope they come out with some attitude. I wouldn't mind it if Rodriguez First foul was a screen that that rattled Boogie Ellis's skull a little bit. You wouldn't mind that? No, he's got four more after that. I think it's a, the physicality, the the not to use a cliche, but against Portland State, the they, they took the fight to them, and um, I think USC more than Washington is a, is a chance to metaphorically punch someone in the mouth. Yeah, that's a that's a great way. Okay, uh, anything else you want to predict from? Because obviously we're predicting a two-game sweep. We're predicting a two-game sweep, sweep to start the, uh, the Pac-12 schedule. Um, these are going to be two very challenging teams, uh, unique opportunities. They've got Texas A&M coming, coming after these two. So the, a very challenging stretch of the schedule and just – Remain steadfast, remain confident. Yeah, remain keep, confident like Sam is right keep now. Keep belief. Um, it's coming around, everybody. Any uh, any shout-outs? Uh, shout-outs to the Belige Beeves. It was great to meet those guys in person and have a beer or two before uh, the Duke game. Those guys rule. They do a lot for, for Oregon State athletics, probably more than, than a podcast just three buddies starting deserves to. So they deserve all the praise they get. Yeah, shout out to the Blue Jays. Those guys were super cool. That was fun to hang out. Um, and then also shout out to the football team. Obviously, we watched the game. We were able to watch it with some Duck fans. So that was the true pleasure to watch it disappear from their face as the game went on. That was an amazing Civil War. One of the best Civil War games I've ever seen in my entire life. Yeah, I, uh, an inspiring day, obviously. And uh, you know, to all the Duck fans who were so worried that Dan Lanning, their, their head coach, was – was going to leave this offseason for greener pastures. I hope he stays as long as he fucking wants to. That whole, you know, song and dance he gave about wanting to put roots in Eugene. I give him three to four years tops, but I'll miss him if that's the way he wants to handle fourth quarters. And he did the same thing against Washington. It was a fraud team in week one, and it was a fraud team in week twelve. Yeah, and a shout out to the Oregon State fan, that kid who wore fifty cowboy hats. On oh his head. yeah, shit. That sorry, that was my other one. We both yelled it while while after the the touchdown that put him ahead. Where, where is he? What is he doing? ESPN needs to be on shit like that. Hopefully, they can find that kid and give him some sort of like scholarship, presidential medal of freedom. Just give him his degree now. Some kids don't need college, and we've seen proof of that. And he is ready to be a leader in the real world, clearly. Exactly. I'll follow him wherever. Yes. Um, all right. And I guess the only thing else left to say is uh, fuck the Ducks. Fuck the Ducks. All right. Go Beast forever. See you all soon.